Supper with his disciples. He was trying to explain to them that he was going away and they could not go with him. They didn't know he was talking about his death on the cross. He told them not to be sad and promised to come back for them someday. He was going to heaven to prepare a place in his father's house that would be big enough for all God's children. From John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. Many mansions in my Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. Many mansions in my
the Lord. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. Members of the Sanhedrin, as chief priest of the Israelite nation and keeper and interpreter of God's laws, it is my duty and pleasure to protect the temple services. And ye, are ye not well rewarded for your service to the temple and to me? I have called this special meeting to serve you both with good tidings and the details of a well-formulated plan to be rid forever of the irritating influence of the man from Nazareth. This Jesus has plainly made public ridicule of the temple laws and traditions. It is obvious that he intends not to obey or observe our religious laws and ceremonies. And this gives credence to what I have always believed, that Jesus intends to overthrow the temple services. In these facts, I see a way in which to discredit Jesus and his teachings. Outside, awaiting my call, is the collector of the temple revenue from the city of Capernaum, the temporary home of Jesus. God, ask him to come in. The high priest wishes you to enter. The Lord bless the high priest. Now sit down. We wish to ask a few questions. Now first, does the man known as Peter live in your city of Capernaum? He does, sir. And has the man named Jesus taken up residence with Peter? Um, well, uh, temporary, yes, sir. Has he ever paid his yearly temple revenue? Peter or Jesus, sir? Jesus. Oh, no, sir. And do you, as a collector, think he should pay the temple tax? Ah, uh, that, um, well, that depends, sir. Mm. Therein, members of the Sanhedrin, lies my plan to discredit him who claims to be the Messiah. Collector, you said it depends. Uh, depends on what? Well, sir, if Jesus be considered a teacher, a priest, a prophet, or if in any way he is connected with the temple services, he would be exempt from paying the temple tax. And all the other people of Israel? All others are subject to the tax and must pay it. Thank you, Collector. You may wait outside. Oh, may God bless and prosper you, sir. Yes, sir. God, close the door. Our members of the Sanhedrin, I'm going to instruct the Collector to go to one of the disciples of Jesus. Not Jesus himself. He is clever and might see through the trap to discredit him. The collector will try to collect from that disciple the temple tribute money. In requiring the tribute from Jesus, we're setting aside his claim to be a prophet or teacher. We're dealing with him as an ordinary, commonplace person. If he pays it, he will in effect be acknowledging the fact that he is but an ordinary Israelite with no special mission or power as a prophet, teacher, or priest. But what if he does not pay? We will have him there too, my dear father-in-law. If he refuses to pay, we shall represent him to the people as being disloyal to the temple and its laws. A most grievous sin. <laughs> Meanwhile in Galilee, Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto thee, I shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill me, 
and the third day I shall be raised up from the dead. And the disciples understood not and were amazed. As they entered into Capernaum, they lingered behind Jesus to talk the matter over among themselves. Someone is going to kill the master. The master said they would kill him. Well, who are they? His enemies, of course. Oh, he has many enemies. The Romans, the scribes and Pharisees. They're afraid that he will take away their positions of high honor and influence. That's why they hate him. And some of the people, too, are his enemies. He does have many enemies. They are going to kill him. Did you notice that he said someone would betray him? Betray him? Who among us would do a thing like that? We all love him, don't we? Would you? Or you? Would any of us? None of us would betray him, Peter. What puzzles me is that he said he would be raised up on the third day. What did he mean by that? I'm not sure myself. For me. Me? Yes. Yes, you. You are Peter, are you not? I am Peter. Does a man named Jesus live with you? Whenever we are here in Capernaum, yes. Well, this is his home, then. Uh, yes, temporarily. Does he pay the yearly temple tribute? Are you questioning the loyalty of the master? Oh, I merely ask if he pays the temple tax. Yes, he... he... well, he will. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you very much. Why did he ask that? Of course the master pays his share in the support of the temple. Remain here a moment, Peter. Yes, Master. What do you think, Peter? Oh, what do I think, Master? Of whom do the kings of earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Oh, of strangers, Master. Then are the children of the king free from tax? Yes, Master. Notwithstanding, Peter, lest we offend our leaders, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take it, and give unto the temple tribute collector for me and thee. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow. And if you would like to add these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound. At 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye.
cereal boxes before? There are a bunch of them. Some with pictures of animals, some with bowls of fruit and milk, and some with cartoon characters. How are we supposed to pick one for our camping trip? Is there one with a picture of a tent on it? <laughs> Let's see. What did the nurse tell us last week in school? She said if a snake bites you, don't suck out the poison? No, before that. She said that we should only buy food that has a very short list of ingredients on the package. And she said don't buy cereal that's loaded with sugar. Okay, we know that ingredients are listed in order. The first item that's in here is the most. So here's a cool box. Let's see, first item, sugar. This one too, sugar right at the top. And this one, and this one. She said watch out for words like evaporated cane juice or corn syrup or even natural sweetener. They're just different words for sugar. Hey, this one says that sugar is number three. Nope. Why? Read what comes next. There are a bunch of words I can't pronounce. The nurse said that if we can't pronounce it, our stomachs probably can't digest it. Try again. Okay, here's a cereal that has just one thing in the ingredients list. 100% whole wheat. That's all? That's all. Then that's it. Dump a little honey, fresh fruit and soy milk on there, and we're eating healthy. You sound like a commercial. God has given us everything we need to be healthy inside and out. During Creation Week, He established a health plan for every creature on earth. To learn more about healthy living and about the God who created us all, go to kidsbibleinfo.com. That's kidsbibleinfo.com. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists.
boys and girls. This is Miss Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. The Icy Grip of Death by Corwin Patterson as told to Charles Mills. One Sunday, my family decided to go to the beach to take an early morning swim and fly kites, an Easter tradition in our home. We left about 7 o'clock and arrived at the beach 45 minutes later. I was eager to dive into the blue foaming sea. I was working toward my swimming honor for Pathfinders and needed to practice several strokes. We walked along the shore until we found the perfect spot. As we ventured into the ocean, it felt surprisingly warm. The waves seemed a bit forceful even though their strength diminished before they got to the beach. Falling in line behind our father, my younger brother and I waded through the water until it was about waist high. It felt great on our skin and made us glad that we lived on the island of St. Kitts, a dot of land pushing itself above the Caribbean Sea and Atlantic Ocean near the U.S. Virgin Islands. After wading a little farther out, I got ready to start practicing when, without warning, my father sank into the water. He splashed back to the surface and shouted, Stay where you are! What is happening, I wondered. The next moment, it felt as if someone had pulled the earth out from beneath my feet. As I struggled toward my dad, I tried to touch the ground, but I couldn't reach it with my toes. I'm a good swimmer, I thought to myself. This isn't a problem. I'll just head back to shore. But soon a sickening realization hit me. I wasn't getting anywhere. I was struggling just to stay above the surface of the sea. Something was pulling me down, pulling me under the waves. Then I noticed the water around me beginning to spin. My father and I were caught in a strong, fast-moving whirlpool. I dropped below the surface, forced down by the unrelenting power of the sea. My Sunday morning swim had instantly changed from a happy time with my family to a struggle for survival. As I began to sink again, I reached out and grabbed hold of my father's neck, and we were both sucked under. Everything was spinning, spinning, spinning. When my father's feet hit the sand, it broke my hold on him. I was dragged away. He managed to grab me, and I held on with all my might, but with me clinging to him, we kept being pushed down under the waves again and again. This is it, I thought to myself. I'm going to die right here and right now. Who would have guessed that my life would end at the very beach where my baptism had taken place just the day before? My mother, a devout Seventh-day Adventist, had taken me to a series of evangelistic tent meetings, and I decided to give my life to Jesus. It was just yesterday that I followed Evangelist Norman down to this crystal-clear beach, I realized. With church members singing from the shore and family smiles lighting my way, I'd stepped into the breakers. As friends and curious tourists watched intently, seven others and I died to sin under the waves. That was death number one, I thought. Now am I about to face death number two? Same water, same sun, same warm breezes, but this time I wouldn't be coming back up, lifted by the strong, kind arms of my pastor. No, this time the powerful sea had me in its icy grip and wasn't about to let me go. That's when I remembered what I had learned about death. I knew I would simply go to sleep and then, in a moment, hear the trumpet of God calling me awake. I'd see Jesus in the clouds and float up to meet him in the air. Suddenly, I no longer felt afraid. No one else knew my thoughts that morning. My father was too busy trying to stay alive. My mother stood on the shore, shouting to my oldest brother. 
Daddy and Corwin are in trouble, she screamed. Help them. My brother, a strong swimmer, dove into the water. When he reached us, he tore me from my father's neck. Little by little, he moved me away from the whirlpool toward the shore, fighting the violent currents every inch of the way. I could feel his strength and relaxed a little, allowing him to move me to safety. When I was out of danger, he returned to help my father. After a struggle that seemed to go on for hours, we were all back on dry land, gasping for air, thankful to be alive. I still get chills thinking about that day I almost died a second time on the same beach. The first death had been a joyous occasion filled with singing and smiles. The second death would have been filled with screams and tears. But dying in Jesus, whether by baptism or a violent ocean whirlpool, ultimately brings the same result, everlasting contentment. I thank God that the first death I experienced taught me how to face the second. story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come, please let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.